Hello and welcome. This is Connie Reagan Green from Huge Profits, tinylist.com with another call in the podcast series. Today I am on a different continent as my guest and I hope that we will still be able to communicate and that my accent is not too heavy. Please welcome Sean Hansen. Welcome, Sean. Hey, Connie. Thanks for having me, and my universal translator is working, so you're coming through loud and clear. <laughs> oh, good, good. And I will uh, I will try to, to continue doing it that, that way. Well, Sean, you and I were just in Las Vegas once again for Dennis Becker's Earn 1K a Day event, and this time I have to say that I became more excited about writing uh, a different genre, not my nonfiction that, that I've been doing, but writing children's books, and that's in great part to information that you shared while you were there and on the panel and everything. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started writing, and then we'll, we'll talk about more about children's books. So I had that real common dream to be a daytime college professor and write at night, create the great American novel. And as is the case for most people, found out that wasn't going to work for me. And after 10 years of teaching, I realized that it was getting in the way of my writing. <laughs> so I left teaching, started writing full time. And I did a lot of fiction for adults uh, in the horror and thriller category. And I had always had the dream of writing kids' books. I wanted my dad, who's an artist, to illustrate them, but he lost his sight before I could make that happen. And there just there wasn't the opportunity to self-published kids' books until recently. And when that came up, I started shifting some of my business focus to the children's book writing. So in part, I'm writing fiction for grown-ups and in part for kids. And then I teach people along the way how to do both and earn money with their writing. Fantastic. Fantastic, because none of this was available to us in years past. It was a different world, and I think we're just very, very fortunate that the world has changed. I'm thrilled. I couldn't be happier. I, I never thought that I would be able to work out of my own office and get up in the morning and write a few thousand words and do some marketing and call it a, a work day. It's It's a lot of work. It's super rewarding, but it doesn't feel like work, and I know you know that. I know you feel the same way. Yes, yes, that we really deserve this opportunity to really be who we are and get our message out to the world and explore different possibilities and things like that because you were actually a college professor. Isn't that correct? That is correct. And what kinds of things did you did you profess? I professed many things. Some of them I was paid for. Oh, yeah, they paid me for English. That's it. That's what they paid me for. I taught a variety of English courses uh, from basic composition all the way up to creative writing. Did that over a course of 10 years at the university, state, and community college level, which I loved for a time. But it just, I wanted to focus on writing for myself, and it became super important for me to do that, which is why I left. All right, well, you know, maybe this is because for some reason I, I didn't realize that you had, had taught English. And um, I have people on a regular basis that will write to me and will correct my grammar for the most part. <laughs> uh, once in a while, punctuation, seldom spelling in my email messages. 
And, um, you know, in the beginning, I would thank them, and I would, you know, look. And then finally, I became a little more defensive, and I said, these messages are written quickly. They're not intended to be literature or anything, and they're not going on my blog, that kind of thing. And finally, the last person who wrote to me, and I guess she spread the word across the Internet worldwide, because nobody really does this as often anymore, but she wrote, and she said it was just embarrassing, and she was just humiliated to have to have had read this. It was almost like it was burning her eyes, because I had made a couple of glaring mistakes, and I was a smarty pants, and I wrote back, and I said, isn't it amazing that someone can make more than a million dollars a year and can hardly put a string of sentence together, <laughs> something like that, and I never heard from her again. Well, yeah. I'm glad you haven't heard from her again, and I promise not to take out my red pen. I retired that along with grading essays, and I am the first person to admit I am not perfect when it comes to reading, writing, uh, grammar. I work on it, like you said, when it's the appropriate time and it's scholarly or I'm going to publish it, that's a different thing, but there's a time and a place for perfection and conversation and emails. I don't think those are the places. Okay, but now with that said, do you have someone who's editing the writing that you're doing for your stories of various types? Absolutely. Uh, having been an editor and continuing to do that professionally, I would still never touch my own work. I'm not qualified to do that. I can turn in a great draft to an editor and get tremendous feedback at the content level and also at the sentence level. I'm working with a group called Archangel Inc., and I love them. Okay, all right. And earlier this evening, I was just on a call with my editor, someone that um someone had told me that I needed a different a different editor. I needed to do things in a in a bigger and a different way for my business, for my books, for my publishing company. And within days, this person magically appeared. She wrote to me, we had been uh, at an event uh, that I spoke at for Joe Batali several years ago, and she said, "You're putting on an event in Los Angeles. I feel that I'm a good fit for it. Can we talk?" And we talked, and she came to my event, and so she's the new editor. So I love how that, you know, serendipitously occurs and uh, encourage people to always be open to people showing up at the right time in your life. But, yes, I agree completely with that, with that philosophy. Yeah, I like to say that an editor takes a good book and helps it become great, and it's really true. Yes. It doesn't really matter matter if you have a friend or a family member, if you have beta readers. You really need a professional to take a look at the words, the overall message or story arc, and give them, have them give you professional feedback. It, it makes a world of difference. It's just, it's amazing what a before and after manuscript looks like when working with an editor. Yes. Yes, amazing. Well, I want to talk really about children's books. I, I shared with you uh, before we started this podcast that this summer that's going to be one of my projects to finish a uh, chapter book that I had wanted to write for about a year, and I'd written a small outline, and now I'm flushing out that outline and I'm and I'm writing it. But let's talk just for a second about a course that you have about Kindle Kids books, and I want people to go to connieloves.me forward slash Kindle Kids, K-I-N-D-L-E-K-I-D-S, Kindle Kids, and that way you can see exactly what Sean has. So, Sean, let's talk about children's books, and let's talk about your course and how it came to be, and I love that, that there are three choices when we sign up for what we need from you at this moment. Yeah, this is, if you if there's any doubt in anybody's mind about 
how big a deal kids' books are becoming. All you have to do is take a look at Amazon. What they've done recently is develop an entire section called KDP Kids, and that's where the Kindle Kids Book Creator resides, which is part of what my course is about. They've also brought out the Kindle Fire HD Kids Edition, and this is fantastic. It's it's a two-year guarantee with a ruggedized device that's made just for kids. They've also recently released Amazon Free Time Unlimited. A lot of people know about Kindle Unlimited. Well, this is a kid-friendly version where they can get kids' books, movies, TV shows, um, educational applications and games. So when I realized that Amazon was making it possible for authors to create really solid kids' books in the publication process, it changed everything. I have to kind of back up and, and explain a little bit about what we are used to reading. So most e-reading devices, the books you look at are format-free. They're just a free formatting presentation. The problem with kids' books, especially those that are image-heavy, is they really have to have what's called an inline format that is fixed by the publisher or the author who's doing it, him or herself, to ensure that the pictures and the text are laid out correctly on devices. And that's really what happened when Amazon brought out the Kindle Kids Book Creator software. And that's what my course, How to Write, Publish, and Profit with Kindle Kids Books, is all about. I walk people through the process of using the Kids Book Creator software to bring their kids' book to life. So up until recently, it, it was possible but difficult to format a finished children's book so that it gave a great reading experience. And what's fantastic is that we're entering a time now that more and more kids have access to electronic devices. I'm sure you've seen this. Yes. We're also entering a period of time where the parents of younger children are now of a generation that electronic devices are natural for them. So for you and me, when we think about reading to kids, we still think about how we were read to. So the physical book on the lap with the child. But fast forward to people who are young parents who have been part of technology, and for them, having an iPad or a tablet or a Kindle and that child on the lap reading an e-book is as natural as a physical book is for us. So whether you're simply ready to publish a kid's book that's done but you don't know how to format it, or you need to learn how to do the graphics that are basically the, the they're the framework for really great kids' books. You've got to have incredible graphics. Uh, or maybe you don't really know exactly how to go about writing a kid's book on your own. You have an idea, but you don't know how to develop it. All three of the levels make those different points in what you'd like to do as a writer possible. And I broke it up that way to basically make it affordable for anybody who, like me, had the dream of publishing their own kids' books and really didn't know after the story was written how to get it done from there without going either the traditional publishing route, which is nearly impossible because most of that is done with in-house writers and illustrators, or writers who have the words but seek out illustrators, which can be really complicated. Yes, well, I love that explanation. I mean, you really went into great detail, so we know exactly what you mean and how we can benefit from this entire process. So thank you so much 
for doing that. My pleasure. And, and I'm so excited you're working on your kids' book. That just tickles me. I'm so excited, and um, it came about because there, there was a boy, the very first year I was teaching, I was actually a substitute, and I met a little boy. He was in first grade that year. I was a sub for the class off and on during that year, and he was just the most interesting little fellow, and he also had a very interesting name that I won't share at this at this point, but you'll know it in the future. And I had thought over the years that I would love to – I'll tell you his last name. His last name is Ponder, which means to think. And I thought, what a, what a great name. And he was just the greatest kid and had so much difficulty in school, as great children tend to have many times. And over the years, I thought, boy, I'd, I'd love to use that name as you know a character and this and that. So a couple of years ago, I looked him up. And he's now about – let me see, I guess he's about 30 years old because this was the, my very first year, so this was long, long ago. And um, he's a professor at USC. Now, I went to UCLA, so I thought, gee, maybe this is not a good fit because we're big rivals. <laughs> <laughs> but I contacted him anyway, and I said, I would love to write a children's book and have the character have your name. What do you think? And I thought, you know, is he even going to remember who I am? And certainly he remembered me, and he wrote back, and he said, that would be great. You know, I'd love to see what you're doing. And I said, though, I wrote back, and I said, oh, thank you so much. I said, why don't you get your domain, your name as a domain name now while we're having this discussion? And he did it, because I was afraid that I would go and register it, and that I'd be a horrible person, and the next time I would see him would be in court. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he got his domain name. So then, you know, in the thinking, though, I'm going to change the first name of the character. I think that's, even though it will be a positive character, I think it's better to have a different first name. But the last name will be Ponder because that's just a great name. So that's, that's how fantastic. he came to be. And he's going to have all kinds of adventures and uh, have a better school experience than his namesake. <laughs> People <laughs> never forget their so. teachers. Yeah, yeah, it was so funny because, you know, I was just the substitute, but um, I was memorable, so that made me feel feel good. So that's that's why. But, you know, let's talk about, so so this course, this ConnieLoves.me forward slash Kindle Kids, this, this course that you have put together in three parts so we can get different sections of it depending on what we need, this is really basically for earlier books, though, not for chapter books. Is that correct? That's correct. This is designed for picture books and early readers that are dependent primarily on images and few words. So we're talking Dr. Seuss-like books and prior to that. Okay, all right. But yet you have written and continue to write books on different levels, including chapter books. Is that is that also correct? That's correct. I Once I realized that I could actually, I was able to get to a breakthrough with my dad, who, though he's lost almost all his sight and is, quote, blind, he has just enough uh, vision to be dangerous, and he's, he's an artist and has been since the late 60s. So we got together, and I had outlined um, my first series, which, was, which is called Grandma Gadget's Mystery Cabinet, and the first book, which is The Case of the Nightmare King. And I read it to him. I read parts and asked him, can you draw what, what I'm describing? And he whipped out some quick drawings for me. So He's going to be able to do these illustrations for me and make the chapter book possible. And unlike the kids, the, the, the uh, picture books, chapter books have fewer illustrations, so they're more dependent on the words on the page versus the pictures, which is just the reverse of the picture books and early reader books. So chapter books are the third 
step in a reader's uh, education, so to speak. And because it's more word-intensive and there are fewer illustrations, it's going to be a perfect fit for the two of us. Well, what a beautiful story, and and I had not heard this before. I don't I don't believe. Um, have you shared the story about your dad? Uh, not very often, no. It it rarely comes up because I'm actually going to be producing these chapter books and have been write. They're going to be under a pen name, and I've been writing them sort of in secret in my office. So no, not too many people know. All right, but I think the story is such a beautiful one, and you know, one that many people would resonate with in some way and uh, really want to know more about. It's pretty exciting for me. It it really does harken back to my initial dream was to write the books and have my dad illustrate them, and I thought that was just a, a gone kind of a dream. And fortunately, I'm doing this soon enough that he'll be able to do it, and with some of what's available technologically uh, with tablets, and and electronic drawing devices, it, it makes it just super easy to transition from what he does on a daily basis as an artist to what's necessary for the digital world. It's fantastic. Wow, wow, just fantastic. It just it makes me so glad that we're alive in this time, in this day and age. Isn't it exciting? It really is exciting, and when people say they would like to live in the olden days, I, I don't want to be there with them. So no. if you're going in a time machine, don't get me a ticket. I don't want to go. <laughs> I will not be there with you. <laughs> so that's wonderful. All right, so let me ask you some things about, about chapter books then. Sure. When I'm writing a nonfiction book, I'm always starting with an outline. It's very, very important. I have the, the overall vision of what I want to share in the book and then I start breaking it down. I finally have that outline, and I have that process to the point where finally I'm just filling in the blanks the last couple of weeks that I'm writing the book. I just I know what's going into that specific section, and also I can jump around from one section to another. With a fiction chapter book, is the outline still all important, and will I be able to skip around at all? That's an excellent question, and this is one of the big debates debates among fiction writers, we, we kind of fall into two camps. There are the plotters, people who plot and plot and plot know exactly where the story is going, and then on the opposite side are what are called the pantsters, those people who write by the seat of their pants. The truth is, is that for most people, there's a little bit of both in us, and it's going to vary writer to writer, but you can absolutely start with a character or a situation or sometimes even a phrase. Uh, my chapter book began with Gorgonetta's Three Penny Circus drove down Arbuckle Lane. And I didn't know where the story was going, but I knew that was something. And from there, I built an entire book. Now, I knew where it was going to go, and I kind of had an idea what was going to happen in the middle, which I think is helpful. But I don't necessarily plot things out specifically and I, I write around, just like you're talking about with the nonfiction. Uh, when you have that outline, you can virtually start anywhere and connect the pieces. I don't necessarily write my stories from the very beginning to the very end. I'll sometimes break up scenes and then go back and make them fit. So the key to fiction writing, I think, have an idea and then have fun with it and let your characters control the story. I love it when I'm in a groove and my characters just start to tell me what to do and I just become the typist behind the action. 
Okay, okay. Well, I, I like that answer. <laughs> I guess we're always seeking the answers we like because it feels like then I'll have more freedom and, um, you know, perhaps then I would go in a different direction. It wouldn't be such a such a formula if a formula does exist. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And, and I think one of the biggest the biggest concerns that many people have when they go into writing is don't be afraid to throw away things that don't fit. Set them aside. You might use them elsewhere or they were the words you needed to write to get you to the real story. That happens a lot for me. I, I, if I write 10,000 words, I've thrown away an additional 5,000 almost every time, and I don't feel, that used to be hard, but I don't feel that those words are wasted anymore because they got me to the words that I needed to make the story better. Right, right, and I guess that, that's similar to when you read books before you see the movies, like with the uh, Hunger Games. I was not familiar with them at all, so somebody told me the first movie was coming out, and I chose to read all three of the books before seeing the first one. And that way, you know, and I'm sure a lot of that she threw out a- along the way, but still, everything that was there, I knew the story, and that made the film just another piece of the story rather than the entire story. Absolutely. I think that's that's important. Well, I I write on a schedule. I like to start writing uh, early in the morning, and when I'm traveling overseas, like I am this month, it it completely <laughs> throws me off. Plus, it's daylight for 22 hours or more a day here right now, so that's a little crazy. What about you? What is your writing schedule like? I am a morning person, and I find that I have my most inspiration and get the most done in the morning. So I tend to write for several hours as soon as I get up, and I shoot for a couple thousand words a day, but if I get a thousand words in, I'm happy. I've been doing a thousand words a day without interruption since 2006, and it's it's just made a huge difference in my ability to get through writer's block and become productive. Sometimes I will wake up in the middle of the night, and if I can't get back to sleep, it's almost always because of a story idea, so I have been known to take out uh, a little tablet that I keep by the bedside and write some more words then. But primarily, I'm a morning writer. Okay, because supposedly uh, 3 a.m., wherever you are, is the godly hour or something. It's it's very meaningful, and we're supposed to go with that. And so I do try to get up. What what you're saying is, is part of what I do. If I wake up and have just even a slight idea, then I'm going to entertain that and be up for as long as I need to to make sure I write it down. Because that's the worst thing is if you wake up and you knew you had a good idea and you didn't write it down and then it's gone. That's <laughs> that's not good. But supposedly that's divine intervention really reaching out to us and saying, here, this this might be good. And I feel with a lot of the writing that finally at some point it's just flowing. I'm I'm just there with my two index fingers making it appear on the page, but it's really coming through me rather than me forcing anything out. Do you have those same feelings? Yeah, I do. I think uh, the more writing you do, the more your subconscious takes over. And when I consistently work on a project and then my writing day is done and I move on to other things, I really take the time to tell my subconscious go ahead and work on this. And if there's if there's a stumbling block in the story, I'll try and think about it before I go to sleep. And I almost always get an answer uh, during the night, the next day. Something will strike me. So I think there's a lot to that. I think if, if you just let the story go, and I think this is probably uh, just as, as true with fiction as, as with nonfiction, 
But if you just let the story go or let the project go, I think there's a lot that happens subconsciously and at different times in our in our living and sleeping cycles. Yes, yes, I I couldn't couldn't agree more. The other thing I want to ask you is, you know, for my I was 20 years in the classroom and during all that time and I continue today and it's been 9 years since I've been a teacher, I order from Scholastic Books and that's what you had talked about in the very beginning where, you know, probably the majority of those uh authors are in a contractual agreement with Scholastic to write a certain number of words in a certain way. And so I, I would say that it's probably censored and this and that because we're doing it completely the opposite way where we can do anything we want to do. How do you feel about controversial topics? I personally don't have a problem with them. It really depends on the age group. And, and you do have to be conscientious when you're writing because when you're talking about picture books, those are the types of books that the parents, the grandparents, the caretakers are primarily choosing and reading to or with the kids. So whatever message they feel is important is going to be reflected in the books they purchase. When you start getting to chapter books, and, and this is why I love writing um, to these, you know, 6 to 12-year-olds and the, the meaty part of chapter books are the 7 to 10-year-olds. These are kids that are starting to become independent. They're making their own decisions. They're being allowed by their parents and caretakers to make those own, their own decisions. So they're going to pick. And if you look at some of the best-selling chapter books, you're going to see, you know, you've got Captain Underpants. You've got Erie Elementary. Uh, you've got the Lemonade War series. You've got the Judy Moody books. You've got the zombie uh, pet books. So probably from an adult's point of view, if grandma and grandpa are picking out a book, you know, my goldfish zombie isn't going to be their first choice. But when kids start to choose on their own, that's the stuff that interests them. So there is room for controversy. And there are all kinds of younger kids' books that have to do with what many people would consider touchy subjects like, um, you know, arguing with siblings, death in the family, um, finding uh, an adopted child, uh, being the, the kid with two moms in school. So those topics, they're there in kids' books, and they're very popular and important. Okay, because I, I remember a story back when I was teaching, so it was at some point in the early 90s, and it was called The War with Grandpa, and it was the grandfather who came to live with the family and how the boy, he was 10 or 11, how he built that relationship. And that was very controversial back then, just the whole scenario of the grandfather coming to live with them, I don't know why, but uh, Scholastic almost decided not to include that book that year in the series. And I think how far we've come from that time, so that was, uh, what, 15, 15 years ago maybe, I mean, things have changed in such a big way that now we can't imagine why it would be odd for the grandfather to come and to have a relationship with the grandson that they wouldn't have had if he hadn't needed to come and live with them. So Absolutely. I think that's a, a good thing. It's a, it's a, I do it's too. A I think it's thing. wonderful. And, and things have become so much more fast-paced that I think it's important for kids to have access to some of the questions that they obviously have. And, and reading, you can't go wrong with reading. It's a foundation for everything that comes later. It really is, and I think once we, you know, help children to understand that, then the world opens up to them. And, 
you know, I was I was a kid that I, I didn't know that there were cartoons on on Saturday morning because my mother always got me out of the house into the library before they started, I guess. And finally kids at school were talking about it, and I said, when do you see this? And they said, Saturday morning. And I said, I don't think we have that at my house. It was it was That's so great. funny because, yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't done that. Well, Sean, thank you so much for, for taking the time and, and sharing all this information with, with the listeners. Uh, where is the best place for them to find you? You can find me online at seanhansen.com, and that's S-H-A-W-N-H-A-N-S-E-N.com. Okay, wonderful. And another thing I'm forgetting to mention is that you've done several book covers for my nonfiction books, and uh, we'll continue to do that. And uh, then perhaps our next discussion would be, well, the next discussion, and I already have a picture in my mind, is for my next nonfiction book, my my book blog broadcast, I'm picturing like a pyramid, a triangle-shaped thing, which I guess is not a surprise because there are three words in the title. But uh, after that, uh, then perhaps we would have a discussion about uh, the children, the children's book. How exciting. You know how much I love doing your covers. Yes, it's so, so much fun, and I the brag ideal about client you to everyone. Who has, yeah, you're the <laughs> ideal client. You have an idea, but you let me run with it. It's fantastic to do that kind of work. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, because I always have felt that that was the best idea. And um, yeah, yeah, because if I could do it myself, wouldn't I just do it myself and not ask <laughs> for someone else's idea? So <laughs> that's the way that works. All right. Well, Sean is definitely someone that you want to get to know. You want to learn from her. Uh, go to her site. Go to SeanHanson.com, but also go to ConnieLoves.me forward slash Kindle Kids. I'm very excited about children's books, and I know you will be too, no matter who those children are in your life. And I'm hoping even my former student gets excited about this book when it comes out. So I appreciate you being here, Sean. Thanks so much. Thank you, Connie. All right, this is Connie Reagan-Green from Huge Profits, tinylist.com with another call in the podcast series. Be sure to go over to iTunes and subscribe to all of the calls in the podcast series. Take care.